And please turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 and find verses 18 to 21 where we'll focus our attention this morning. I'm going to give you the most common answers to one question asked to people of all ages. The respondents were 8 years old to 75 years old. I'm going to give you the top five answers, and I want you to consider what you think the question was. Answer number one, math. Answer number two, bury my parent. Answer number three, overcome an addiction. Answer number four, move to a new place. Answer number five, marriage. So those questions, there's one question that was asked to people from 8 to 75 that came up with those Five top answers. What is the question? The question is this. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? I mean, come on. Math, like you got a calculator on your phone. I get the rest of them. Marriage comes in at number five. I, wondered if, I, I wonder if you'd agree. I often find myself doing premarital counseling, telling young, telling young uh, starry-eyed couples with rose-colored glasses, like, hey, it's, it's good. It's amazing. It's special, it's wonderful, and it's hard. And they hear the first ones, and then the last one, they're like, huh? You mean this guy, this amazing Casanova? You mean this girl, this princess of my dreams? Like, seriously? Yeah, but it's the best kind of hard because it's so worth it. As you labor for Christ in your hearts and you toil uh, to love your spouse in this life, you receive so much from marriage. But yeah, it's, it's hard. And then that recipe for marriage calls for a kid sometimes, maybe even two or three or four. Or some of you stop checking the recipe. You're just doing your own thing, and you, you, know, you, you got a van full. Some of you just get a bigger van. It's great. It's awesome. It's good. And yes, sometimes what is it? Yeah, it can be hard. And I think sometimes Christians do ourselves a disservice when we lie to each other and to ourselves that it's always easy because it's so good. Yeah, it's always so good, but it's occasionally not easy. But we should not hold two things in tension, marriage being hard and marriage being worth it. It can be both. It can be both because both are instrumental in how and why God receives glory from our marriage. And as we've been looking over the last couple of weeks, we saw the role of women in marriage. We saw the role begin last week for for men in marriage, but they're both foundational in our identity in Christ. Women are a precious daughter of God. Men are a productive son of God. And until we're those things, marriage won't work. So as we look back and we see the reality of men that we're called to be productive sons, we're called to work and keep in the garden, we realize for some men this translates into marriage. When that's who we are, productive sons for God, then we realize that we have to be professional husbands. And that's where we got ourselves up to last week. So stand with me and see from God's word in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, the beauty of what family can be as we'll specifically focus on husbands today. Colossians chapter 3, begin in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, 
and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, what a kindness it is that you've given us these truths, that you've allowed us to have the markers that we can set our course by, that we can look to these things and recognize that if we're pursuing this, we're pleasing you. But these things that we read are rarely things our culture admires or our flesh desires, so help us as we pursue them to make much of you in them for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. I think you can be seated. Last week, we began to discuss the professional husband's role in marriage as the one who's uh, growing always in his profession, learning always, striving for excellence, pushing himself to know and lead and love his wife to a greater degree of excellence. If you're going to be a professional husband, then who you were as a novice husband cannot be who you are as a mature husband. And every once in a while, I'll write something And I'll think, oh man, I don't like that. That's one of them. If I look back over five years or maybe 10 years or a little bit more than that, the whole marriage that I've lived, sometimes I wonder, am I getting any better? Sometimes my wife answers, no, 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 but but (laughs) as we grow in being a husband, are we actually growing? Are we actually progressing? And if we're not pushing ourselves towards the goal, pushing ourselves towards the image that we have for the proper husband, how will we know? Well, I would suggest that we can't. So today, as we look in these truths, we're going to see what we need to be as a as a husband. And we began last time with being loving. Paul in Colossians 3.19 is addressing husbands and calling for love. Are we as husbands laboring to improve at this incredible command? And I say incredible in the sense of the word that it's unbelievable that we would be called as man or men to love in the way God loves women. To be a professional husband, you must Love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. And in the context, remember, you love your wife as you are God's beloved child. You see, just as the saved are the object of God's love in Colossians 3.12, if you look up a couple of verses, so is the wife the object of the husband's love in Colossians 3.19. This is a love of action. This is a love of consequence. Just as God's love is not merely a declaration of what he wants us to know, it's not just a set of promises to be fulfilled in the future, neither is the husband's love. God's love attacks us with affection. Even when we're running from God, God chases after us and pulls us into his love. God's love changes us, so the husband's love should be doing these things in the wife's life. Husbands are called to a specific emotional and physical love that is reserved for only the wife, a love that changes the wife. Doesn't God's love change us? Shouldn't the husband's love change the wife? 
When a husband chooses to love a wife and that, that, that choice then demands from himself that he cares for her, that he provides for her, that he protects her, that he serves her, that he gives of himself to her and for her in a way that is unique and special in all of creation. What things are called to mimic the love of God in their relationship? Husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wife with that same love that God has loved you. Love your wife. Make the habitual pattern of your life one of loving your wife. It's not a normal pursuit or a normal affection. This is man's greatest platform to display God's finest, most perfect love. If God is our model of love, and he is, then how do we as husbands love? The scope of our love is to be like God. You could say it's totally consuming. The scale of our love is to be like God. There are no reservations once the commitment is made. The love of a professional husband, you could say, is unconditional. But is that true in your love for your spouse, that it's unconditional? When you consider the many definitions of love in the Bible, you probably in your mind stray at least to 1 Corinthians 13. It's on most wedding pamphlets. You know, even though it's talking about love in the body, the body of Christ, it's still very appropriate to understand love in a marriage as we understand love in the body. 1 Corinthians 13, all of these descriptions of what love is. After we've made this marital commitment, this commitment brings responsibility, and that responsibility uh, brings action from the husband. So what are these actions to look like? What is the love to actually be fleshed out as? Well, love is many things, but love is patient. Why? Uh, because love doesn't rest on the wife's timely response. Love is kind. Why? Because love doesn't return what it gets. It always gives kindness. Love doesn't envy or boast. Why? Because love isn't concerned about the reputation of the one that's doing the loving. You don't need to pat me on the back. You don't need to tell me I'm good. Why? Because I'm loving you. Love is not arrogant. Why? Because love doesn't need to be praised. Love is passionate about the good of the other. Love is not rude. Why? Because love dies to self and denies self. Love doesn't insist on its own way because love loves to pursue the other person's preference. A professional husband is always pursuing the ability to give the unconditional love of God in marriage to his spouse. I ask you, why do many husbands love their wife? This is often probably because she loves them. She loves them, so they love her. I would suggest that's neither right nor love. It's not unconditional love, that's for sure. Too often, husbands want the privileges of marriage without the responsibilities of marriage. And we, we harped on women a few weeks ago, but ladies, you're in this camp as well. Wives often find themselves at fault here. But often the wife is doing what? Following the lead of her husband. Her husband is teaching her how not to love him. The wife 
is following the lead of her husband and expecting benefits from marriage without living for Christ in marriage, dying to themselves and loving their spouse. Marriage becomes a giant battle of amateur accountants. Amateur accountants. Well, I've done this and this and this and this, and a couple of times ago I did this, and then if you remember this, so I've got this, and then the other spouse is like, well, yeah, well, I've done this and this, and you're like this, so I get this, this, and this, and this. It's like a bad accountant company that can't keep their accounts straight. Anyway, love doesn't mess with keeping records of how much I love you. You don't care about how much you've loved me because that's not what love does. Love is giving from self to the other regardless of return. The moment we take into account, well, I've given this much and you've given this much, we're not loving. Love just loves to love. Our love within the marriage covenant is unconditional as far as our puny finite little souls can make it. Once a husband has covenanted with a wife and is bound by God to love her with a love that mimics God and points to God, he, he won't escape it. He can't escape it. He doesn't want to escape it. He just wants to love his wife. Remember what John says in the context of love within the body of Christ, uh, that because we have been loved by God, then we can love one another. Consider 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So if that's how we can love each other, doesn't it make sense that a marriage, the only reason you can love your spouse is because you've been loved by God? If it's true in the body, it must be even more true in a marriage. Husbands love their wives because they've been loved by God. Maybe husbands have bought into the worldly lie that loves a 50-50 effort. You give me mine, I give you yours, and then we're happy. That's not love. That's just selfishness with a fancy packaging. That may make for a good business partnership, but again, that's not love. Listen to how God describes love. 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love. Okay, John, tell us, what is love? That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He said, well, that's not about marriage. Okay, you're right. It's about church life. If that's about church life, shouldn't it be even more true when we consider our marriage? How do we know love? That he laid down his life for us, then we ought to lay down our lives for our spouse. How is your love to be defined? How is your love and marriage to be defined? Husbands, do you love your wife? Here's how you answer. You lay down your life for her or you don't. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 proves to us we're not called to some sort of a transactional love where we give and receive. We're called to a love that is, that is giving. This is what husbands have been called to. We've been called to love our wife, and yet we want to be loved by our wife. Receiving love is an often benefit of giving love, but it's not a necessity to obey God and give love. Look at 1 John 4, 9 to 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, 
If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How does God define love? By giving up what is valuable to himself for the benefit of the one loved. And this is the love of God. So, if this is the love of God, who's it shown to? Well, it's shown to the unlovely, shown to the unlovable. It's shown to the enemies of God. This, this is God's standard for a husband's love. To give of yourself, to benefit, to care for, to protect your wife. Even if she's unlovable. Even if she's at times your enemy. God did that for you. Will you do that for your wife? Will you give of yourself, benefit her? The world doesn't know this kind of love. That's not love to the world. It's crazy. The world only knows what they, that, that they want something, and they're going to do this to get what they want. That's not love. That's selfishness. I wonder if Christian men showed this kind of love, denying self kind of love, dying to self kind of love, living for something or someone else kind of love, if the world would notice. I think they would. But instead, too often Christian men love just like the world. I'll love her when I get what I want. Too often, so-called Christian men are just like the world, wanting to be loved instead of passionate about loving. Professional husbands, though, they don't love their wife simply because they feel loved by their wife. Professional husbands understand that that's following and not leading. And everything in a Christian man's toolbox is designed to lead, to forge the way forward, to care for someone else in spite of the return on that. Love says, let's do this. I'm taking the initiative. I'm going to love you. And that's the period at the end of the sentence. Worldly love says, I'm going to try this, see if it helps me, and if it doesn't, I'm done with it. It's a hard lesson for men to learn, to lead our wives in love. And I'm not talking about leading as in the direction or the course of your marriage. I'm, I just mean you love her. Like, you just love her. And your love for her is not determined by her response to you. You just love her. You love her no matter what she does. You love her. Here's the thing. When you love like that, what's your wife learning? She's learning a lot, but she's learning two main things. When you love her the way God has loved you, first she's learning from an imperfect man how the perfect God-man loves her. If you being a knucklehead can have any sense of godly love towards your wife, and she's like, wow, that was impressive. She's smart enough to know that Jesus is better than you. Sometimes you forget. I'm here to tell you. Jesus is better than you. And second, she's learning how to love you. Because believe it or not, you're not always perfect. My wife has told me at least twice <laughs> today. No, I mean, she, it's just like it happens. Not perfect. When husbands don't get what we want, we feel neglected or rejected, and then we get all bent out of shape and pretend as though since we didn't get loved, we don't have to love. We're following, not leading. A man says, I don't care. 
I'm called to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, so I'm loving you whether you're lovely or not. I'm loving you whether you're lovable or not. I'm going to love you because I'm a productive son of God and I'm a professional husband. That's what a husband is, a lover of his wife. And as we move on, we can't move on. Love is woven through every reality of a professional husband's life. All these markers have the main ingredient of love. So second, very closely related to love is selflessness. A professional husband is growing daily in our selflessness. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul says, love your wives like Christ loves the church as he gave himself up for her. Not as he taught her, which he did. Not as he helped her, which he did. But he gave himself up for her. Husbands, you're called to love your wives with a selfless love that mimics the love of Christ. And so often our understanding of love and marriage is backwards. We picture love like a boomerang. Have you ever thrown a boomerang? I asked for one when I was a kid. It's foolish. I am in no way Australian. I don't know how those things work, but they, you know, you get the little package. This is before YouTube, but you get the little package and it's got like instructions. You hold it this way, tilt your arm, you throw it down, it goes foo, 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 and comes right back to you. No, it don't. They lie. It don't work. But we picture love like the perfect boomerang. If I just do it just right and hold it just right and like get my angle just right, then it's going to come right back to me. That is not love. That is selfishness. Real love is like, you remember the turn of the millennium? Two guys, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. Remember what they used to do to a home run before we started worrying about steroids? I mean, they could just knock this ball into like a different zip code. It was incredible. That's love. Love just goes out. Love is gone. Love, there's no question what you're trying to do with love. Love, you're sending it to your spouse. You're moving it to her. There's this benefit on her behalf that you're pushing out. You're not worried about the return. That's not love. You're not worried about what she's going to give back. That's not love. That's you sitting on the throne thinking you deserve something you don't. You love. You don't wait on her. You love. You don't demand from her. You love. A truly selfless husband will be searching the soul of his wife like a bird dog looking for ways to give of himself to her in love. A truly selfless husband will allow himself to be mocked by his wife, ridiculed by his wife, maybe even rejected by his wife, scoffed at by his wife, maligned by his wife talked down to by his wife and continue to love her even at the expense of himself. Some of you guys are like, I'm doing that. Not my, I don't know about them. That's how guys disagree. Don't make a coherent argument and just grumble and look funny. Really? A truly selfless husband will allow himself to be beaten, tortured, and crucified if it were to give him even the smallest opportunity to show his wife love. You can call it crazy, or you can call it Jesus. That's his example. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
not over the top, it's not absurd, it's Christ's like life. Show me love that doesn't cost, and I'll show you a counterfeit love. Show me love that benefits the giver, and I'll show you a counterfeit love. That kind of love is like fool's gold. Man, it looks good. It's cool. It's interesting. But the heat hits it, it's done. It's worthless. It's fake. Your calling as a husband is to ball your life like a fist and pound away at the evils of this world around your wife to protect her, preserve her, to love her, to send yourself in every way, every day, all the ways possible to show her that you love her, to strive for her, to pursue her with reckless abandonment, to to chase after her in love. Imagine guys, they'll throw themselves into work for a promotion. When they don't even get a raise, they just get a new title. And they won't give their wife a weekend away. Notice I said guys, because those aren't husbands. Those are little boys that got married. But men, husbands, love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Because that's what Christ did. You're called to do the same. Christ gave up all the blessings of the heavenly throne for an economy ticket for the, in his passage through this life. Like he didn't even go first class. He sat in the middle seat in the back. He gave up his rightful place at the right hand of God, condescended to man. Philippians 2 tells us he gave up what was rightfully his as the son of God, but not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. Why? Because he loved us. That's love. He gave of himself. He was selfless. Brother, you can achieve nothing greater than loving your wife like Christ. What did Christ achieve that was greater than his love for his bride? Yeah, we think we got to have some work title. Jesus was happy with being a good husband. Are you? Jesus deserved respect and honor and service and worship more than any man who ever lived, and he pushed it all aside so that he could love his bride. Why? Because he is selfless. That's what you're called to as a husband. Truly selfless love is sacrificial. I mean, to say selfless and sacrificial, it's almost being redundant. They're, they're getting at the same thing. What is the ultimate motivation for husbands? It's either me or Christ. And if it's Christ, then my passion is for her. Bob Lapine helps us find what we really want here. You can read this with me. He says, it's often harder to live for your wife than it would be to die for her. It involves daily, dying daily to your own desires and dreams. In the end, sacrificial love involves a willingness on the part of the husband not only to prefer his wife as more important than himself, but a readiness to lay down everything he holds dear to care for her. It's a decision on the part of a husband that nothing will supersede his marriage covenant. The kind of love that never gives up. That's a selfless husband who loves selflessly. How do we as husbands, how often do we as husbands ask of our wives to sacrifice for us, And we expect of our wives to give up things for us, to sacrifice for our 
profession, for our ministry, for our hobbies. And we fail to see that selflessness is our job. We ask of our wives what we should be doing for them. We withhold time from our wife because it would require sacrifice of the me time that we cherish. We keep our affections from our wife because our affections are set on temporal things that have price tags and events and dates and logos. But professional husbands grow in loving and living a life that is selflessly serving our wife. What's a professional husband? A man who loves his wife with all of him and lives for her selflessly. Third, a professional husband is very practical. Lest you think being a Christian husband is a calling to despair, it's not. It's a calling to joy and growth and life and love. And for those men in Christ, being a husband is a natural outworking of the love of God in our soul. We feel the love of God. We recognize the beauty of unconditional love that God has shown to us. What do we want to do? We want to pass it on. So we love our neighbor. Our closest neighbor is our spouse. She sleeps next to us. Like, so we love her. She's right there all the time. It's a calling. It's a joy. But there's definitely growth. It comes out in our love of our wife when we know the love of God for us. That's Paul's whole point in Ephesians chapter 5, that beautiful passage about Christ's love for the church. If, if we're loved by Christ and we understand the love of Christ, then that love, not a different love, that love will come out of us for our spouse. A husband's love for his wife is to be like Christ's love for his body. For his bride. What has Christ not done for his bride? Ponder that sometime, guys. Just imagine. Like, what did Jesus say no to that was beneficial for the church? You'll find that there is nothing. But how often do we think in relationship to our bride, like, eh, I mean, she's good. She's got it. She, she doesn't need my help now. I mean, I know she's frazzled and life is crazy and there's plenty of things for me to do at the house, but man, my hobby is calling. I think she'll be all right. I have my area. She has her area. Funny how your area gets done in 40 hours a week and hers is never done, but I can't find time to selflessly love her. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I wonder, men, how much free time do you spend caring for yourself? Probably most of it. What's your free time for? You? You? I doubt it. Men and women have roles in marriage. I get it. We aren't really going over those today. But simply fulfilling your role as the provider does not preclude you from caring for your wife in strategic and practical ways. Bringing home the bacon does not mean you don't have to care for the piglets. Like you got to help. You got to love. That's a weird mix of metaphors. I, I did, that just came to my... <laughs> No, no child sacrifice or anything, but 
thoughtfulness and practical love that mirrors your love of your own body is what you're called to give to her. You know, when our wives leave town, it cracks me up. They, like, make us food. I, I, you know, like, I don't know why, because, like, I'm pretty good at going through drive throughs you know? <laughs> I kind of enjoy it. We don't eat a lot of Long John Silver together, so when she's gone, I get to, you know, but she's made me all this healthy food, and I feel obligated, and okay, you know, thank you. They just naturally want to care for us, and guys are like, oh, you're good? Sweet. I'm going to golf. I'll be back in seven hours. <laughs> Why do we do that? We're called to selflessly love our wife. We naturally take care of our body. When we're sleepy, what do we do? Sit in our recliner? Hard day at work? When we're hungry, what do we do? We get food. What does our wife need? Us to think about her the way we think about ourselves so that we serve her like we serve ourselves. Well, how do we do that? My first suggestion, all these will come from Jesus's life, you can look them up on your own, but my first suggestion is that we're like our Savior and that we're consistent help with our wife, consistent. Can't we always depend on our Savior? How about Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6? The Lord is at hand. So verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Where did the help come from? Remembering that the Lord is always at hand. He is consistent. He is constant. Do we have that effect on our wife or is it like, oh, dear, he's home? <laughs> Does she know that since we're there, she can expect our help? Or is she like one more kid to take care of? Except one that doesn't grow up and leave, you know? Can our wife always depend on us? How many times has my wife willingly taken a back seat for my wants and my needs? Does she know that that when she needs me, I'm there. I want to be there. I'm not forced to be there. She doesn't have to drag me to be her helpers. I, that's my love in life, to be selflessly, practically serving her. Imagine the disciples with Jesus. Imagine how they could rest around him, how they could trust him, how they could believe him, how they could be loved by him and, and not worry about things. Is that how our wife feels around us? Jesus says, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Husbands, we must love our wives consistently. It can't be seasonal. We can't take time off from loving our wife because it's my season. Can't take time off from loving our wives because it's sports season. Can't take time off from serving our wife consistently because it's a, uh, what? It doesn't matter as much as your wife. As husbands, we should be the most consistent thing in our wife's life. Some of you wives are out there like, oh, don't tell him that. I don't want him home anymore, and he already is. That's a, yeah, you got to figure that one out on your own. But husbands who seek to be practical, not merely theoretical lovers of their wife are really being husbands. We should be all about the honey-do list. John 13, how did Jesus serve his disciples? They needed a theological whooping. They were not paying attention. They were not focused on what was coming or happening or what Jesus had told them. They were focused on themselves. They were prioritizing their felt needs and wants. They were not listening to Jesus and what did Jesus do? He did what needed to be done. He washed their feet. 
A husband who isn't concerned with serving in practical ways is not a husband. Jesus served. Do you serve your wife? It wasn't below Jesus to wash feet. Is it below you to recaulk a shower? Guess what's been on my honey-do list for like two weeks? I'm getting there, sweetie. It's just like every time I have time, somebody's just taking a shower and it's not drying and we got to put the fan in there and then somebody else needs it. And What's that? Excuses. Somebody just said it. You got to let me answer my own bad problems. Come on. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And some of you guys are like, well, I don't have domestic skills. I'm not a handyman. I'm not. What's that? That's an excuse. I got one word help for you. Maybe it's two. I can't remember. YouTube. Like, you can figure it out. Just somebody's done it already. Some guy didn't know how to do it, learned how to do it, put it on YouTube. So you can do it. You got it. She deserves your practical help. But here's the thing. Some of you are like, I am too busy, and I believe you, but you shouldn't be. You say, I'm too busy. What do you want me to do? Quit my job or something? Maybe. Not until you get another one. If you don't have time to be a professional husband then let me tell you some of the things you could give up. You ready? You play video games? Quit. Throw an anchor to the adolescence in the trash. How about this one? You fish? You hunt? Ain't very many of you actually saving money by hunting. Don't give me that. <laughs> Maybe you brew your own beer. Maybe you spend a whole bunch of time on Facebook. Maybe you travel. Maybe you read church history too much. Maybe you golf. Maybe you shoot guns too often. You do these things and neglect your wife? Here's the simple solution. Quit doing them. Let me soften that a little bit. Nah, not going to soften it. If your hobby, your passion your outlet, or whatever you call your self-serving, time-wasting activity is that keeps you from practically loving and serving your wife. Whatever it is, choose the beauty of Christ over the junk. Choose to serve and love her and get rid of the stuff. Maybe it's your job that keeps you from being the husband your wife and Christ deserve. Then find a job that lets you be a better husband. Take less money. Be a better husband. You say, well, that could take years. Then get started. Start now. I mean, maybe wait till I'm done, but start soon. Get going on it. So I don't want to be brash. Okay, well, then you'll retire as a worthless husband. You good with that? You say, well, we need wisdom. You're correct. All things can't be done at once, but we should be pursuing these things. If the pattern of your life is not practically serving your wife, you're not getting through to her the beauty of God's love for her. He's not a God of theory. He's a God of action. For God so loved the world that he discussed it with his son over fresh roasted small batch high altitude organic fair trade coffee. No, but that's what a bunch of Christian dudes think it is. No, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die. He took action. For you as a husband, your practical love stretches from morning devotions to the bedtime routine, all of it. You are the prophet, priest, pastor, provider for your home. 
You're, you're the man bringing his family before God as the priest. You're the man who's, who's showing his family God as the prophet. You're the one that cares for the souls of your family. You're your family pastor. You're the one called to go out into the world and get what's needed and bring it back to your family. You're the provider. 1 Timothy 5.8 makes it very clear you don't provide for your family in some way, somehow, with the abilities that God has given you, you're missing something. Paul is very clear on that. 1 Timothy 5.8, a husband is also the one who protects his family. You're the layer of protection over, his, over your family that God uses to care for your family. He, you're, you're the one who helps your family interpret the world. They look at the world like you do. If you're freaking out, chicken little sky is falling all the time, guess what your family is? If you're like, what's the world? Guess what your family is? You have to help them understand. You have to show them the grace and beauty of God in this world. And you have to show them where the wrath of God is coming because of the sinfulness and unrighteousness of mankind in this world. That's your job. Husbands, love your wife. I wonder, some of you husbands, do you have a mistress that's keeping you from loving your wife? You're offended by that question. I can't believe it asked that. Do you have a mistress keeping you from your wife? All the while you groom your relationship with your mistress and pretend your wife doesn't know? Say, I would never do something like that. I don't know. A lot of guys have a mistress, normally one of two names, work or play. What's keeping you from caring for your wife in the way that God deserves? Whatever it is, get rid of it. God doesn't need it. You don't need it. Christ doesn't deserve you distracted. Love your wife. Fourth, the professional husband is strategic. What do I mean by that? We have to lead. You have to lead. Strategic in what ways? What's it mean to lead? Well, to lead, all you got to know is three things. They're not simple, but there's only three things. You got to know where you're at, where you want to go, and how you're going to get there. You have to know those three things. If we're going to talk about a wife, we need to know where she's at so that we know where she's got to be so that we can help her get there. I mean, I hear you. It's hard to be a strategic husband. If our wife is okay and she's not like every time she sees us breaking into tears, then I'm like, we're pretty happy. That's, that's basically what it is in, in my life. I'll speak for myself, you know. You, it, as long as she's not crying, like I'm like, man, I'm a great husband. And then she starts crying. I'm like, what I did? I don't know. <laughs> you got to know where you're at. The only way to know where your wife is at is you got to, here, you ready for this? You got to ask her. It's taken me over a decade to learn this, and I'm not there yet. You, you got to say things like, where does your heart struggle? Where are you finding joys? Where do you feel like you're in sin? Where do you feel like you're gifted? You got to ask questions. Man, I'm so bad at this. I was going over this week. This message, I'm like, mm, my wife's going to think I download this off the internet or something. Like, I am not this. It's so hard to rock the boat in marriage. When things are going good, like, this is let it go good and hope for the best, you know? Like, just keep going how we're going. Nobody's crying. I'm happy. I think she's happy. Let's just keep going. And then something happens. And then she's crying. And I'm like, I don't know why she's crying. I'm sure it's me, but I don't know what I did. 
And then we're in the mess. And then when you're in the mess, who wants to talk about the mess? You just want to kind of act like there's no mess? Just go to Tuesday. Hope Tuesday's better. No, you can't. So you've got to talk to your wife, men. Be strategic and loving and caring for and sanctifying our wives. Real husbands, they dig in. They know where their wife is at. They ask her difficult, good, soul-searching questions so she can tell them the answer because you don't know. At least that's what I'm figuring out. You don't know. Ask. So until you know where she's at, you don't know where to get her. And until you know where she's at and where you're supposed to be, you don't know how to get her there. You've got to know these things. You've got to lead. You've got to lead in this. What are wives called to do? The previous verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. So many wives aren't submitting to their husbands. Do you know why? Because their husbands aren't leading. Their husbands aren't helping their wives submit because they have no direction for them, no instruction for them, no. Here, sweetie, let's do this. You can do this. We can get here. It's just like, woman, you're over budget. Woman, this needs fixed. Woman, kids are naughty. What are you? You're the leader. Don't just point out the problem. Help find the solution. Get your wife towards the solution. <laughs> I got to fast forward one moment. Oh, I can't. I, I, oh, yeah. Are you ever, do you ever read something? And you're like, it's kind of like you're reading. And it's like somebody just flicks your ear. Like you just, it got your attention. When I was a kid, my mom used to grab me like back here, the back of my flabby little tricep. That got my attention. While I was reading this week, this got my attention. You've got a, about 386-year-old wisdom will help you focus on your role as the husband. Not her role, but your role. Look what Richard Baxter says. This is a practical manual for all of life, and he's got a chapter on husbands. Here, 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 look at this. A good husband will either make a good wife or easily and profitably endure a bad one. I shall therefore give you directions for your own part of duty. And then he's, for like the next 50 pages, his hammers on guys on how to be a husband and how to care for their wife. Because what does he understand that we often forget? That it's my job as a husband to help my wife. Do you know we have an amazing women's ministry here at Grace Bible Church? But it's not the women's ministry of God. What is God's women's ministry? Husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, help your wife. Husbands, lead your wife. Husbands, your wife's problem is probably you. Help your wife. Love Christ. Fifth, the professional husband is steadfast. Your wife has to worry about a lot of things. She shouldn't have to worry about you. Psalm 118, verse 1, one of my favorite verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Turn to Psalm 136. I want you to see this real quick. The most amazing thing to me about the Old Testament is no matter how ugly Israel was, no matter how angry God was with her in her sin, no matter how hard Israel's punishment was, God's love never wavered, and she knew it. She might act like she didn't, but she knew it. Psalm 136, if you're there, what do you see? Just a quick Bible study lesson. How do you study the Bible? Sometimes things are repeated. Makes more sense when you look at this psalm. What's repeated? What's God trying to make sure you understand? If you got the ESV for a steadfast love never, 
endures forever. NASB, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Or my favorite, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, his love is eternal, steadfast, never wavering, always there. Husbands, do your wives think his love is steadfast. His love is here to stay. When I make a mistake, his love is here. When I do great, his love is here. When I have my hormones raging, his love is here. When I'm dealing with postpartum, his love is here. I hear there's something called menopause. I don't know. His love is here. Is it? Do your wives know this? Last, don't be harsh with your wife. The final mark of a professional husband in Colossians 3.19, we'll call it gentle. Paul says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul's using this word as a metaphor. It's, it's the same word that's often, it's something that causes your heart or your stomach to be upset. Revelation 8.11 uses the word, talking about the wormwood star that made all the water on the earth bitter. That's the word. The word means to, to bring a violent response from, from the stomach. But here's the thing. It, it's a negative, passive, present imperative. It means you cannot ever let this happen. You cannot ever be harsh with your wife. Paul ain't messing around. You cannot ever be harsh, harsh with your wife. All, all of this kind of put together, husbands are to be gracious and forgiving, slow to anger. And you say, oh, that's, that's, that's tough. No, that's not tough. That's impossible. You can't do it. Our only hope to live like this with our wife is to know that this is how God lives with us. And if you're not full of Christ, you can't give him to your wife. If you're not filled with Christ, you won't live like him with your wife. If the spirit of Christ is not animating you, you have no hope to not be harsh with your wife. Galatians 2.20, it's a verse that nobody thinks is about marriage, and yet I'm convinced it's all about marriage. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When that's your life, you can live like this with your wife. When that's not your life, you have no hope with your wife. But if you have Christ and you live in him, then everything you do in word or deed can be all for him. You can be the husband that your wife needs. You can be the husband that makes much of Christ. So may we strive to be his and make our wives love him as much as we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy of conviction, the truth of your word, the reality of how it should should shape us, how at times it attacks our hearts as it shows us our sin, but we know in your word we have your spirit to help us. So give us humility to ask, grace to understand, passion and energy to live in loving ways with our wives. For all of us, may we honor and glorify you, may we lead and love those around us and in this church to point them to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. You're dismissed.